Welcome to Master Your Money, the podcast that teaches you how to take control of your hard-earned money all while living your best life. I am your host, Elizabeth Heiza, Chief Marketing Officer at the Barnum Financial Group. I once felt powerless when it came to managing my finances and my attitude follows suit until one day I changed my mindset, built up my knowledge, and put myself back into a financial position of power. And I started this podcast to provide you with the same education and advice that I received on my journey. Now, I want to help you master your money. Hello, Master Your Money listeners. Welcome to today's show. Today with us, we have Sandra Scanny. Sandra is a financial services representative and registered representative. Sandra works out of our Long Island office. She has been working in this space, in the investment space, since 1995, where she started her career on Wall Street, working for a very, very large and well-known investment firm. Um, And she has just been crushing it in this space ever since. So Sandra, welcome to our show. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for that introduction. It's nice to be here. Wonderful. It's so great to have you. In addition to Sandra's amazing success, she is just a phenomenal person and a phenomenal uh, female colleague. And she is just a big supporter of, of everything that so many women do here. And she is someone who I very, very much look up to. Um, not only has she had a stellar career, but she is is raising four children in the process and just crushing it on all ends. So I couldn't be more happy to have you here. And we're going to have a great conversation today. Sandra and I are going to talk about investing from a female perspective. So throughout her career, obviously Sandra has worked with a lot of clients and she's going to tell us, but being a female investor herself, but then, you know, particularly working with, with females, I want to understand, I want to dive deeper into that. And I want to share with our listeners, why is there a difference? You know, how are female and male investors different? And then, and then how are they the same? So Sandra's going to help us with some general understanding there. So Sandra, why don't you start with telling us how you got here? What brought you to this seat today? Thank you, Elizabeth. So I started my career, uh, as you said, back in 1995 and I continued right out of college and I actually landed my first job at a big wirehouse. So That's how I started. Then I took a a small hiatus to raise my family, to raise my children. And truthfully, at that point, I wasn't sure if I was going to go back to a financial career um, because I had so much passion and I loved it. But then I said, geez, I'm going to have that same passion for raising these kids. Could there be room for both? So I really needed to test the waters. And thankfully, I am able to do both. So the second part of my career, when my children started to land into elementary school, I wound up going back into the financial world, not so much at a brokerage house, but I wanted to lean more towards life insurance and investing together. And mm-hmm. eventually found myself you know, at Mass Mutual and luckily at Barnum. Mm-hmm. which has given me the best of both worlds. Yes, yes. And we're so lucky to have you here. Um, wh- earlier in your career, you were really exposed to heavy, heavy 
investments. Like you were really, you were really a, a stockbroker to use that term, right? You were exposed to the blue chips and the dividend paying large cap companies and the NASDAQ small cap companies, right? You were really kind of one in a million at that time period of being a female in that space. Yes, that that is accurate. And we did have those aggressive companies and there was one other female investment advisor. It was just the two of us. And uh, I remember her well, great lady. (laughs) So there was the two of us and there was about 500 brokers on the floor. So, so yes, that's accurate. And we had uh, small companies come in and they would, they would solicit what their mission was or their inspiration was to take their company public. So some of them were on the NASDAQ and others were, you know, blue chip, big, we used to call them big board, big board. I can't believe that came out of my mouth. Yes. Big board <laughs> um, yeah. Like riding a yes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, I can't even imagine being in, and, and that's for another show, but being in that space at that age, at that stage of your life and being, you know, one of two females on that floor, that yeah. had to have been difficult. Yeah. Yes. You know, oftentimes that it was difficult. You had to make your way, I think, because you had to show that you were educated in a certain space. I do feel at that time, sometimes you weren't taken as serious um, Mm -hmm. when it came time to your opinion. I always, even back then, I looked at the PE ratios. I looked at, we called it the float, right? The float of the company to see if that inspired me, because sometimes the more aggressive stocks were the ones that the company would lean towards. And I like the ones that had a smaller spread per se, and that were more conservative. We always had a platform to choose from. It was an open forum for what we like to put in our book of business. But I gravitated towards more of the conservative companies um, that had larger flows, that didn't trade as aggressively, that had tighter margins when it came to the bid and the offer of that particular company. So you spent time on Wall Street in that role. Then you took a little bit of a hiatus. Um, and then you decided to jump back in. And, and I love how you put it to see if there's room for both raising your children and working in the space. And you decided there was, but you made a pivot. You pivoted into more general financial services where now you're not just doing investing as you are on Wall Street, but now you are doing more insurance planning, more retirement planning. What made you make that change? Well, when I was on Wall Street, you had your peaks and valleys and your highs and lows. And that temperature gauge for me at the time was stressful in itself, even, even though I was a young adult with less responsibility. So now that I had the responsibility of a family and with that comes its own stresses and its own responsibility, I felt, I, I didn't know this. I didn't, I didn't know for sure that if I went into a, a, a different type of platform, if it was going to be less stressful, but I did feel like instead of doing 100% pure stock brokerage accounts and the stress of that and the margin and all of the things that we had to deal with, if I can go into something that was more uh, diversified, if that would help, more planning, going Mm -hmm. slower, helping families like my own Mm -hmm. participate in a 529 or learn about it. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to align more with what I was going through on a personal level. Oh, that's wonderful. And I bet your clients felt that and still do feel that, I would imagine. I can, I can feel that from you every time we talk. So you've been working in this space now for over 30 years. You've been helping families plan 
for their futures. Can we start this conversation with what are some commonalities that you see in yourself as a female investor alongside the commonalities that you see in a lot of the female investor clients that you work with? Yep. So that's a great question because it is a blanket statement. When I look at my female investors, I look at friends that invest with me, good girlfriends Mm -hmm. that we've grown up together and myself. One common trait is is patience, Mm -hmm. I I believe. So when I look at something or or when my investors look at something, they do have more patience if the market is changing, not the company, but if the market conditions are changing around us, they tend to stay more patient and be more conservative in their approach on what they'd like to do as action steps. So I think that that's a commonality. So sitting back and kind of keeping their eye on the long-term goal. You said too, when we were, you know, we were having a nice conversation prior to this, but you said too that for women, investing often represents empowerment, security, the ability to achieve personal goals. Yeah. So I I do feel like women feel like they're in control more of their planning when they do their investing. Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially if you're raising a family and you're geared towards that, a certain portion of your life, that when you have a good handle on your retirement planning or just saving in general, that it makes you feel good about yourself, that you're in front of that and you're educated. Versus delegating it to a spouse, a partner. Apparent, even even, yeah. even delegating it to an advisor where you are completely in the dark. Right. Well, that's really where that's that's a, that's a great point, Elizabeth. Because I do hear a lot. Well, my husband takes care of it. I don't really have an idea of what we're doing. Even when I have um, certain folks that are in education, they, oh no, I don't have to do it. You know, we have a four hundred three b. Generally speaking, in that space. I don't pay attention to it because my spouse does it, but that spouse mm-hmm. isn't an educator. So, like, we have to learn about that specific 403B, what, what's the difference between that and a typical 401k? So that's where I feel like women should get more in front of what it is that their occupation is about. And Sandra, it, do checks and balances ever come into play for you? Meaning, all right, great. If, I would like to think in every household, right? And I'll just use mine, for example, maybe yours too, where two people work, you, you divide and conquer everything that you need to make your life run. So you're right. In some households, maybe one spouse handles the investments, maybe another spouse handles the bills, maybe another spouse handles, you know, the the landscaping and house maintenance. And, you know, every house is different, but there's always a check and balance, I would imagine. So even if your spouse or partner does handle the investing, you should still check in on that. Right. As a spouse, as the partner or spouse that's not doing it, you should be generally aware of how your accounts are performing just so you are shedding a little bit of light. I agree with that. And and I do encourage Elizabeth. I encourage when we're on the phone and I have someone that does say that, you know, my husband takes care of it. I like to have them on the phone, on a Zoom or in the meeting together, Mm -hmm. even if they sometimes it's like. It's, it's pulling them into it. Cause I said, no, let, let, let my spouse deal with that. Even though it's their investment, let them mm-hmm. speak to you, Sandra. I always say, no, let's sit down and huddle together. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what kind of investing it is. I could be talking about a life insurance policy that does have an investment inside of it. If it's one category of a permanent policy, let's sit down together and do it. Even if they don't want to listen, I do encourage that because sometimes life throws a curveball. And I have that in my book of business. 
Yeah. And I do have single moms. Yeah. I do have, you know, women that are, are for whatever reason, starting over if they've had a death of a spouse. Yes. That's yes. big now in my book of business. Yes. And the emotional component that comes up when we speak because they had no idea because their husband took care of that for 25, 30, 40, whatever years that is, they feel lost. Yes. And that's why if you're kind of dipping your toe in the water as you progress and then a life event happens that you weren't expecting, you feel a little bit better about it. You don't feel so lost that you now you need so to bring your children to help you and explain it. No, you, you're in a little bit more control. So I do encourage that. I try and do the best I can with it. I think it's important. I know this is another blanket statement, a generic statement. So let's just say that right up front. But in your experience working with the hundreds of clients that you work with now and have in your 30-year career, do you find it's mostly... Um, you know, the, the male partners or the female partners that handle the investment side? Blanket statement, the males handle the, the investment side. Yeah. There's not even, it's not even a close second. It's, it's a, it's, it's definitely a big margin. Yeah. Why, why is it? Why is that? Do you think, why do you think females tend to shot either shy away or are they resistant or, you know, what, what do you think? Do you ever have conversations like that with your clients about how that delegation happened? I think it's confusing to people. I mean, you know, I have to say in our industry, Elizabeth, as you know, it's constant education for mm-hmm. us as advisors, male and female, mm-hmm. constant education. There won't be a week that goes by that we don't need to huddle about something going on in the economy something going on in the market, something going on with interest rates, something going on with with securities and exchange uh, uh, regulations and rules for each state. For us, it's mm-hmm. overwhelming and we have a life separate from what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. So for, I believe, women, I don't know if they want to grasp that and, and have to learn about something they feel is so confusing. And the truth of the matter is when you're a financial advisor, yes, you have to have your designations. But when you are an investor, it's not that confusing. You can compartmentalize a little bit so you can understand just enough to know how to ask the right questions, how to maybe go on a podcast, listen to an audio Mm -hmm. book of just journalists, or just have a sit down with your financial professional person and say, hey, just explain what this means, this target date fund in my 401k. In in five sentences, can you explain? And we will be able to explain that to you sure. just to have a compartment of what it is that you can learn. If that sure. Makes sense. So it's almost, you know, moving your mindset into more of a growth mindset where you're open to learning Correct. and not, and not because without a doubt, it is confusing without a shadow of a doubt. And I would imagine even for seasoned professionals like you, like it can be confusing and fast moving and you have to stop and think and life is busy enough at times. So yeah, to, to be able to delegate something, if you know, feels really good. But to your point, when you get thrown a curveball, you don't want to make matters worse by not, not knowing something. Right. That's correct. Some of them have no idea. They'll pull open a portfolio and they don't know how it got there and what to do, but more important, what should I do next? Or if there's a tax consequence, it could have been avoided if there was a little bit more knowledge behind the scenes. So general knowledge, a hundred percent. 
everybody should be in front of their investments. Yes. Nothing, no bad things will come from more knowledge about where your money is. That's right. Sandra, tell us about the typical female investor. Where do you see them building their portfolio? What what type of funds are funds companies are they typically investing in? So most of my female investors are in what we call target date funds as opposed to individual equities. Mm -hmm. They really gear more towards, and there are specific, it's funny because they, they do gear towards specific fund families that are um, the names are more common, should we say? That doesn't mean they're always better, but they do gravitate toward ones that they're familiar with, names that they've constantly heard. Brand names, right? Brands that they, names that they know, brands that they know. That's correct, which Mm -hmm. which also leads me to one thing that we didn't touch upon, that women, I feel like they're more aware of consumer products and goods. They keep a pulse on sometimes what their children are looking at or what's going on in their lives from a consumer perspective. So. They gear more towards the alignment of what their inspirations are that they know more about, more familiar names. So they, if I could summarize what you're saying, women tend to be more comfortable investing with brands, names, companies that they know, but also brands, names, companies that they potentially use every day, right? Or their children uses or or that their family use. Yep, they're more geared towards towards that. And even the actual fund family, if it's a familiar name to them or familiar name where they heard their parents investing, they tend to gravitate more towards that fund company in itself. Yes. Which again, goes back to a little less risky. Maybe female investors tend to be a bit more conservative, which is not a a bad thing, which is not a negative at all. Just a a commonality we see. How about um, Sandra, do you do you notice that female investors pay attention to um, socially responsible investments or environmentally responsible investments? Yes, 100%. I think female investors do gravitate more towards environmental education, social behavior. Um, Those are the topics that really I hear when they're speaking to me that they gravitate towards. Those are the topics. So yes. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, you mentioned that, you know, female investors focus more on their personal goals over maybe, you know, would you say they focus on that over performance? Yes, I I do think that women investors focus more on because they're more conservative in nature, um, things that align better for their timeline within their family, as opposed to if they hear uh, like if a cryptocurrency comes out or Mm -hmm. or a, a tech stock comes out or something that's shocking in the news that comes out, that's not going to make a female investor, generally speaking, hop on the phone with myself as an investor and say, hey, I want to learn a little bit more about that. I may want to do that individual equity. Or worse, or worse, just tell you to make the move without, you know, I was at a cocktail party over the weekend and my neighbor was talking about X, Y, and Z. And now I want some of that. Right. And there are some investors who will instruct you to make that move, but it seems like your female investors tend to stay the course a little bit more. Yes, they stay the course. And as opposed to some of my male investors, they will hear something going on in the news and, and right away they would want to make a decision, at least in a certain portion of their portfolio, with a lot of aggressive behavior that's out there now between cryptocurrency all the way through tech, they like to make moves and that they're not all bad, but mm-hmm. they like to make moves very, very briskly. Not mm-hmm. like any of my female clients. 
They like mm-hmm. to talk about the topic. Maybe they like to know what my opinion is and what the view is of our company, but they typically don't, you know, ask me right then and there to buy a fund or, or an, uh, an equity. Let's put some of our investors in your shoes, right? You said you had gone back to work and you're raising these young four children and you have a responsibility back to your family. So, you know, what type of risk tolerance would you say, if you care to share, if you're open to sharing, what type of risk tolerance did you have through those years of your life, those working years of your life? You're still working, but when your kids were a little bit younger. Yeah, so just as a general rule of thumb, I would, my risk tolerance is moderate. It always has been. I've never had, you know, a risk tolerance for the market, even when I was in my 20s, for a very aggressive behavior. That just wasn't my, um, that just wasn't how I felt personally. I always felt a little more conservative. I think it comes from my grandfather who did wonderful investing in Bell South and, Mm -hmm. you know, Sarah Lee. So I always felt like I was more on the conservative side, generally speaking. But I use the rule of thumb 100 minus your age just as a general rule. I use it for myself because I I didn't like a lot of equity. But when I was younger, it helped me really get to that pie of a little more equity when I was younger. But as we get older, if you take that same calculation, 100 minus your age, and maybe that's the amount you would want to put it and have some equity exposure as opposed to a more conservative investment, that's how I did my personal investing as I was raising my children. I felt like there was college to think about and there were bills to think about. So I always wanted to stay more on the conservative side. Can you can you back up? You said a lot. Oh, you said a lot there, Sandra. Okay. Yeah, can, you, back up. can you back up and explain what is this rule? A hundred minus age? What is that? Yep. So as a, a general rule, mm-hmm. if you take a hundred and subtract your age. Let's just say for easy numbers, you know, someone is 50 yep, and they're looking at what should I do now with this investment? Mm-hmm. So that would be 50% in equity and then 50% in a more conservative approach on the other side of Got this it. high of 100%. Okay. But let's say somebody was 25 years old. Yep. That would put them in a 75% equity driven risk. Got it. And then- you know, on the other end, if you are, you know, 60 years old, right now you're also inside a more moderate portfolio where only 30 or 40% would be equity driven. You always want to have some risk exposure, Elizabeth, sure. because you do want to teach people to keep pace, as you can see, with the inflation. So you don't yep. want to have Got zero it. risk and leave it under the mattress. Not that anyone would do that, but you just don't want to have your money sitting there idle. Got it. So that so that's what the rule is. You take your age. Minus one, uh, 100 minus your age. And that will give you a good rule of thumb, so to say, on how much should be put in equity versus more conservative funds. Yes, that's oh, correct. I love and that. that's what I would use. Yes. I love that. Um, you talk about, you know, uh, something great that you did with your kids. Your kids are now um, young adults, right? In college or graduated college? Yeah, they're in their early 20s. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Are they all working now? And kind of managing their, yeah. Yeah, they they graduated their master's in economic theory. So um, like every, I have a blanket statement with my children. They all did the same thing. They all went to the same college. No way. No, true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All all four went together. They all went to the same college, all had their master's, uh, one psychology major, but economic 
theory was the major for my other children. Um, so yes, they have 401ks now and they have their own jobs. Yeah. So they're, they're investors now. They are absolutely our investors, all four. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations there. Thank you. But you did a little survey with your kids. So tell us about that. Yes. So I have two boys, two girls. So it was an easy, quick question. And what I said, give me one line, one line. When I asked the question, the first thing that comes to mind and I asked how you invest in your 401k and how do you act toward it? Cause I, I, of course, I always have my eyeballs on what it is that they're offered. But my daughter, she said, well, mom, I just buy it and hold it. And then I asked my son and he does like to trade a lot. Yeah. So there it goes. 50, 50, 50, 50. Yep. And it's kind of goes in line with what we just said that females are tend to be more patient. They tend to hold it. And males like to like to be a little bit more active. Yep, that's correct. And then my son, he dips his toe a little bit into some things that are offered in the platform of his 401k that I know my daughter doesn't because she, you know, she'll always check and balance with me. But yeah, that's (laughs) just their personalities. And he's okay with it. And she's okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone feels comfortable. Yes. So talk to us, Sandra, a little bit. You talked about how you believe in the concept of compounding interest um, instead of receiving a dividend check, right? Reinvesting and compounding. Talk to us about your your theory there and how you guide clients there. Yeah, so so it's it, I feel like it's a simple formula if you just want to get started. I mean, simple compounding interest in theory, especially if you start young and you just keep reinvesting, your portfolio, generally speaking, will grow. So often if you have a large cap company that offers a dividend, you can get a dividend check once a month for $1.40 or whatever that number is. But if you don't look at it and you set it and forget it and you say to your advisor or you're doing this yourself, let's have those dividends reinvested. You really don't look at them, right? Because they're just going to be reinvested. Mm -hmm. But if you compound that year over year over year, so now you're not receiving the dollar 40, but now it's compounded Mm -hmm. and you wait and you can do your own little experiment, Mm -hmm. you will see exponential growth. Even if the market, obviously, which it does has ebbs and flows, it's going to go up and down. If you have a time horizon and you're making that time horizon long, which is what, you know, we always encourage, right? Want to start young. You're going to see growth just by doing that in your investment by using simple compounding interest. I love that. And I love the example, how you gave an example where the amount is so small. I think sometimes what I hear in my world a lot is, well, what does that matter? It's only a dollar. It's only $5. It's only $10. But that only can jump to, it's only $100. It's only $500. You know, the difference between spending that $5 on a cup of coffee or the $100 on, you know, whatever it is going out to dinner versus investing that and watching it grow over time. That's a big difference. Yeah. And it will make a big difference. And the younger you start doing that, the better off your retirement is going to look, even if the market does take its turn, which Mm -hmm. it does, it's history. Market's going to go up and the market's going to go down. Yep. Yep. And that definition of retirement is changing for everybody too. So 
it's not, you know, so much so traditional retirement where you stop working at 60 or 65 and then you go about your day, you know, you, you, you turn the page, people are taking mini retirements in their forties. People are taking these small hiatuses to use your words all throughout their life. So to have that retirement account available when you need it at any age is critical. Yeah. And that's a great point because I speak with two types of investors, uh, some that did some planning and unfortunately some, and they'll say it, you know, they wish they had done things different. So if you have that opportunity to have that vision and do it earlier, it makes a big difference. I can hear sometimes the inflection in people's voices when they discuss personal matters with me, who did a different job at a younger age. So I don't feel like you can go wrong if you start plan- doing this planning really young. And I, my numbers are really young. You know, my mm-hmm. ages that I'm thinking of are really young because of that compounding interest theory, Elizabeth. Yep. I think the younger you start, the more peace of mind. And I say to my clients, and I use this term a lot, putting yourself in the driver's seat because you make different decisions and you're able to make decisions based on having financial security that maybe you won't have the choice to if it doesn't even have to be a life event, but you you are able to make good choices. You're in the driver's seat to control what you want to do if you have that financial stability. Sure. And nobody, Sandra, I would imagine in all your 30 years of doing what you do, nobody has ever said to you, Sandra, I really regret saving so much. I really regret that I had this financial plan in place, right? Does that ever happen? It's never happened one time, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Not even one time. Yeah. Nobody regrets saving a few extra bucks. No, not at all. No. And they let some people say, I I don't feel terrible about spending either because they've been saving. Some people say to me, I've been saving since I'm 19 years old. I've been saving since I'm 17. They have no guilt in enjoying a certain part of their life as they should. Great. As they should. As they should. Absolutely. Absolutely. You talk a lot about yourself as an investor and how female investors in general um, tend to be more conservative. But, you know, is is there a downside there or, or do you sometimes wish you could instinctively be a little bit more, you know, kind of aggressive? Does that ever come up for you? Yes, it has. It has because I, I tend to, uh, my personality has really has always been the same when it comes to this. And when I set my mind or my mind thinks a certain way, I, I typically don't change my mind. Even if someone comes to me and says, well, you might want to look at this again. That's not always a great way to, to look at investing. I mean, diversification, we know that, right? That's mm-hmm. great. Diversify. But if there is uh, a change in this world, or and I use technology. I know we've discussed this quite a few times during this um, podcast. The world is ever changing, and the world is moving. So I have had regrets when things were presented to me, or someone has told me about a terrific company or a terrific scenario that, in my mind, it was just too aggressive in nature. Mm-hmm. And you really do miss the boat mm-hmm. on not thinking holistically like that. We, I think, okay, we'll go conservative because slow and steady wins the race. And that's not, I don't think that that's wrong. I love that mm. philosophy. And you have a lot of success stories about how slow and steady did win the race for you. We don't need to go into those, but you shared yeah. some with me and you, you made out by slow, yeah. by being slow and slow steady. And yep. steady wins the race. And sometimes too fast, you know, you lose it, gain it fast, lose it fast. 
But there's somewhere in the middle where I sure. think you need to dip your toe in the water a lot, however your tolerance is. And even if you have to force yourself, just like you do in a cold pool, you've got to get your whole body in the water. But just start with your toe. And if you're not willing to do that, sometimes you might miss out. And I know personally I have. Yeah. And if something else were to come to me, and I think the more financially stable you are, the easier this conversation could be. If you have a conservative nature and something comes to you or you, you want to learn about a different sector, you're going to be able to get into it and dip your toe in the water if you're financially set. But I do have, I'm not saying they're all regrets, but if I had to offer advice, if you're more conservative, take a small portion of your portfolio and put it into something that you might not otherwise want to be. And that's aggressive because yes. I think that you can diversify that way better. Yep. Yep. That's great. That's great advice. What kind of changes have you noticed in the marketplace for investors? You know, way back when, when you started your career in 1990, people had probably the journal. That was where they got a lot of their investment information, if any place else. But now this information, true and false, is everywhere, right? You can be a pretty sophisticated investor on your own these days. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. We had the Wall Street Journal. Uh, you know, there was there was some some blurbs that we would see on our Quotrons and we'd be able to follow, you know, what we call a Bloomberg right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but now everything is at your fingertips. And depending on which way you want to listen to a podcast or you can get an audio book or you can even do some you know small little research in your, your local library, you can find pieces of information to help you do proper investing. And if there's a specific company that's just came out now, you want to know it right now, there are ways just on an application that you can find out PE ratios and history and historicals on what that stock price has done over a certain duration, just on your, you know, on, on our smartphones. Mm -hmm. So there is information that is accessible everywhere, depending on what company it is. Every company you can download, you know, some of their PEs and some of their historical information right there on their own website. You can actually sure. go onto a specific fund without us, without yep. any advisor. Yep. Go on that fund and see how their historicals have been to date. Yep. yep, so the information's all there for you to see. Yes. In closing, because we're up on time right now, this was phenomenal, phenomenal. I think also a big mistake investors make is just that term in of itself. I think when people think of the term investor, they think of like a huge, you know, big name where you have boatloads of money that you're investing in the market. And I think people tend to forget that if you're investing in a 401k, you're an investor. If you have an E-Trade account, you're an investor. So talk to us right now about all the females out there, whether they just got their first job or they're starting to plan for their retirement. What is one small action they can take as an investor today that could impact their future? So first and foremost, if your company offers a 401k, sometimes we say, you know, does that company have a match or no match? Regardless, you should be signing up for that 401k at your workspace. And you don't have to go all in for the maximum amount, but you should be involved in your 401k. That's the first thing. That's for me is a no brainer. The other thing is if your company offers a Roth and, and a lot of people don't know it, not just women. Um, but if your company offers a Roth 
inside the 401k. Some people don't understand, well, oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was just a 401k. You can invest in the Roth inside your 401k and maybe split it. Maybe half of your, we call it payroll deductions, right? Half Mm -hmm. of your deduction will go into your traditional and half would go into your Roth. So you can start by doing something like that and become educated in what your company is offering you. Mm -hmm. Are they offering a match? If you don't understand it, human resources is always a great tool. You can get something from them to say, what does that mean? A percentage, you know, how much can I, without talking to an advisor, just HR, how much am I allowed to do? And you can do all of this. Typically it's done on your laptop. We call it open enrollment. You can just sign up for your 401k that way. I think it is an amazing way for any female investor to start is signing up for a 401k. If your company doesn't have that, maybe earmarking your mind, well, I know I want to put away at least $2,000 this year. Doesn't have to be your max of six, $2,000. So open up a small Roth IRA for yourself. You can do it through any platform, any mm-hmm. easy platform without having to involve anybody else and keep yes. it down. Keep it simple. Love that. I love that. Sandra, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for giving all of us the space to learn and to feel like our investment style is our own, no matter what it is. But thank you so much for all the great work that you do and all the great information that you shared. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. As usual, you are incredible and you made this easy. So thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Master Your Money. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Every little bit helps. You can also follow us on our Instagram at Barnum Financial Group. If you're interested in connecting or working with a financial advisor at the Barnum Financial Group, the links are in the show notes of this episode. All opinions expressed by the program participants are solely their current opinions and do not reflect the opinions their respective parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the program participants are affiliated. Investments or strategies mentioned in this program may not be suitable for you, and you should make your own independent decision regarding them. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you you should strongly consider seeking advice from your own investment advisor. Securities and investment advisory services offered through qualified registered representatives of MML Investor Services, LLC. Member SIPC, 6 Corporate Drive, Shelton, Connecticut, 06484, telephone number 203-513-6000.